When talking about the temple given by God to Israel and the Levitical system with all of its laws, there is a great risk that we all run when studying it. On the one hand, Christianity has considered much of this old and irrelevant, and they have felt very disconnected from these laws and instructions. And on the other hand, there are others who've seen the value therein and they've dived in head first in excitement to study it. But sometimes we can even get so caught up in the different elements and the physical things that God has given us that we miss what it's all really about. See, I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that what it's really about is something that the enemy of God's people doesn't want God's people to discover. It's all about the Messiah, Yeshua, the savior of humanity. And we have to when we study these amazing things he has given us, which are relevant, we have to see him in it all. Today, I'm going to discuss some elements that are less popular, less discussed, but I want to submit to you all extremely important because the earthly tabernacle that was set up, given by God for us is all here to point to a greater reality of what he always wanted to do. That is to make mankind his dwelling place, to put his spirit inside of us. That's why Yeshua, when he was speaking to that Samaritan woman at the well, he said, I'm coming. And if I may paraphrase, he said basically that he's coming to bring a revolution where he is going to come and say, I am calling worshipers of spirit and truth. I'm going to put a new set, a new temple system up. And there will be a new kind of acceptable worship, not just limited to coming to a building as as wonderful and beautiful as everything God gave there was. He is saying, I'm going to come and put my spirit in you and to understand the spirit, truth, worship. When we study the aspects of the temple he gave Moses, we find how we can worship as temples of the living God. Some of that which I want to discuss today is the census tax or the temple tax and how it pertains to our sin payment. I want to talk about the bronze basin and how it pertains to our washing. I want to talk to you today about the anointing oil and how it pertains to our empowerment. And I want to talk to you about the incense and how it pertains to our prayer life. First, I want to speak about the census tax. Let's read in Exodus 30, verse 13. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shackle according to the shackle of the sanctuary, half a shackle as an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than the half shackle. When you give to the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. First, what we need to consider is really what we trust in to save us. The rich in this world, they trust in their riches 
to save them and to care for them. And the rest of us who aren't rich, well, we trust in our distractions to save us from the impending death we all have to face. See, it is easier to turn a blind eye to the reality that our sin, that our actions will have consequence and it will ultimately lead to a day where we will breathe our last breath, our death. But that unfortunate thought we skip and we entertain ourselves with other things in this world in hopes to distract us from that. We actually hope to make something else our savior, at least on a very superficial level. But God is saying, no matter what you are, no matter whether you're rich, no matter whether you're poor, no matter what your status in society is, what you own or what you hope to be distracted by, you will each and every one of you have to face the reality that you have sinned. And there is a payment. There is a tax that needs to be paid for it. There is an atonement that needs to be made. But I mean, let's just be honest. How is half a shackle going to atone for a lifetime's worth of sin? See, this census tax is a symbol. It is a picture of how each of us have a fine to pay. But the question really is, is how much is your fine? How much is it supposed to be? If you look back at your life and you look at everything you've done, every lie, every unclean thought, every gossip, every time you looked at pornography or a woman with lust, every time you stole or coveted or did whatever wrong, if we put all of that together, what would be the cost? Because that's really what this tax represents. How much does that cost? I mean, let's be real. Is it is it five dollars? Is it a hundred dollars? Is it a thousand dollars? Is it a million dollars? Is it five, ten million dollars? What would be the fine for your sin? I mean, any, many of us will have various different numbers. But I think that we can all agree that whatever that number is, that determines really the severity of how much, how severe we consider our sin to be. If you consider your tax for your sin to be a million and someone else considers it to be $5, well, the man of $5 certainly considers his sin to be way less serious than the man who considers his tax to be a million. And this is an important point, brothers and sisters, because God has told us, has shown to us how severe our sin is and what the payment is that is needed for our sin to be written off, paid off. And that payment is with the life of the Messiah himself, it is with the life 
of the one who is Midas, of the Almighty, of the creator of heaven and earth itself. That is the weight of our sin. It's not a million. It's not five million. It's not a billion. It's more than all the money in the world. That is the weight of a man's lifetime of sin. Because even if you if you were the only one to die for, he would go to the cross for you because he as he went to the cross for the world at the same time, he went to the cross for you. You were on his mind individually, personally. You were on his mind because that is who he is. He has your hairs numbered. He knows you intimately and he loves you intimately and That's why he died for you so intimately. See, brothers and sisters, it's so easy for us to to be like, well, my sin, it's it's this, it's that. No, God says this is how serious it is. And it is high time for us to start looking upon our sin as seriously and as unholy and as unclean as he sees it. Because in that way, perhaps we can take it serious enough to really repent to turn, not just turn a blind eye, but turn from what we are doing. Yeshua spoke with Peter about this tax, and he said a great revelation. He said in Matthew 17, 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the true Dachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax from their sons or from others? And when Peter said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Yeshua makes such a, an amazing point here. He says, well, in this world, the rulers who impose the taxes, do their sons pay it or do the other ordinary people pay? And he says the, the people pay. And so Yeshua says in the same way, the sons are free indeed. See, there is a requirement for you to be free from paying for your own sin. And that is for you to be a son of the father in heaven, the judge. There needs to be a special type of relationship is what Yeshua says, because see, ultimately, when we have sinned and fallen short of his glory and when we were caused out of the garden as Adam and Eve were outside of his presence, suddenly that relationship was corrupted between us and the father. We were no longer sons, but we were instead sons of the devil because we made a covenant with the devil. But Yeshua comes to get us back and in dying for us, he cleanses us and allows us to be restored back to the presence of the father, to the garden. And so now we can be sons of the father yet again. And in that sense, we become exempt from the tax as Yeshua and his disciples were. 
And so the temple tax or census tax was implemented upon Israel for one reason, at least to teach them their need. The fact that they will not be able to make atonement for themselves, but that they need to trust in a greater plan of the father. What's so amazing about this temple tax is that it would go to the expenses of the temple to keep the ministry work of the Levitical priesthood running and to go to the furnishings of the temple and whatever else is needed for its services. And in the same way, I want to submit to you our temple tax. The coin that we have is Yeshua's life himself, that he comes and he becomes the coin to pay for it. He becomes our payment, but he pays for a greater temple that has arrived. The temple that he has come to make in his people. And in that way, it means that the payment goes for the furnishings and service of our temple to keep our temple in service running paid for in ministry. In other words, this is God's promise that this is why he told his disciples, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will be clothed in or where you will sleep because I provide for your temple ministry work. We're all supposed to be in ministry as temples of the spirit. And he says, I will provide for it. I will provide the opportunities. I will provide the financial provision for your life. I will provide you a Holy Spirit even. And some of the things that were for that work of ministry in the Levitical system was, for example, next up, which I want to discuss the bronze basin in Exodus chapter 30, verse 20. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water their hands and their feet so that they may not die in going to the tent of meeting or in going near the altar. There is this continuous washing of the hands and feet that is commanded to take place. I want to submit to you that the bronze basin, which wherein the washings are done, Yeshua, Jesus is the bronze basin. He is the one to where we need to be going continuously in repentance, in our prayer time, in order for us to be washed. And this also speaks to the baptism that he calls us all to in the beginning of our journey with him, where he washes us clean of our sins and our impurities. But notice how It is the hands and the feet specifically that is commanded here to be washed. Our hands is symbolic of what we do, our actions and our feet symbolic of where we go. See, brother, sister, something the father's really been putting on my heart recently is how bad company corrupts good character. Just in recent months, I have seen so many examples of believers so strong before in the faith and in their relationship with God, pursuing him on fire for him, 
getting mixed up with bad company because their feet were not continuously cleansed. In fact, their feet went to bad company, to bad influences, into crowds of people that they were mixing with. And these people corrupted their characters. And in fact, they, their hearts started getting stolen away from the father because the enemy will use whatever bad company he can, that he has a hand in any unbelief, any unbelievers to try and get you away from the father, to corrupt your character so that your action. See, here's the thing when your feet becomes impure when you go to places you shouldn't go, then by nature, your hands will become impure because you will touch that which you should not touch. You will imitate that which you should not imitate. You will become someone else which you ought not to become. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that he is calling us to such a place of holiness where we are like Yeshua was on the cross crucified, that we will go and we will crucify ourselves, a living, live a living sacrifice and see when Yeshua was crucified, his hands and his feet were what which was which was nailed to that stake, to that cross. And in the same way, it has to be your hands and your feet that are nailed, that are crucified, that you say, Lord, this is no longer mine. These feet are no longer mine. Where I go is not for me to do where what I do is not for me to do. It's not for my own kingdom, my own sake, what I want. No, I put that all on the altar for you, because see, brothers and sisters, it is when we do not put on the altar who we are in company with, who we associate with, where we go, what we do, we do it for ourselves, not for the interests of his kingdom. And then we fall because no kingdom of man will stand. It is only one kingdom that will remain the kingdom of the almighty. And this brings me to the next element that we ought to discuss, the holy anointing oil of the Lord. Exodus 30, verse 31. And you shall say to the people, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. I want to submit to you that this holy anointing oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, Yeshua sent for us. It is like the oil that was in the lamps of the wise virgins. And this oil, which he sets apart as holy, ought to be holy unto us. See, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is to be holy to us. Sometimes I think we forget that the Holy Spirit, if we could give him a name, it is holy, holy, holy. That means that there is a reverence. There is a, he is holy. It's the spirit of the Lord by which Moses had to take off his shoes for. But that means 
that we do not defile who he is by what we say about him or what we think about him. This is why Yeshua was so serious about how the Pharisees were speaking about the works of the spirit, even calling so blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be careful not to call the works of the Holy Spirit as the work of a demon or to call the works that are evil of a demon, the works of the Holy Spirit. And this is why he says you shall make no other like it in composition. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. There is no one like him. There's no other spirit like him. Just as there is one God for us, there is one Holy Spirit for us, not many spirits like the pagans have and how they try and commune with various mediums and spirits. And so therefore, we have to stand and take a hard stance to have only the Holy Spirit work among us. And we taste that by looking for the fruits of the Spirit and expecting him to show up in great signs and wonders and to bring freedom and truth with his presence. But now another thing that was said about this holy anointing oil was that it isn't just for ordinary people, that it is only to be placed upon priests. We read in verse 32, it shall be poured on the body of an ordinary person. Whoever puts it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Just as the holy anointing oil were for the Levitical priests and to be placed on the temple and on the holy things of God. In the same way, I want to submit to you that the Holy Spirit is not just for ordinary people. And see what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit was sent to fill believers. Those whom the Lord has made priests, Peter writes and says, you are now a holy priesthood when you put your faith and belief in Yeshua. You no longer are an ordinary person, but a holy priest. And it is when you become a holy priest through your relationship with Yeshua that you become extraordinary. And you become one who is able to receive the Holy Spirit. See, Simon the sorcerer was one whom Peter did not allow to receive the Holy Spirit because he was an ordinary person, someone of the world, someone unrepentant, someone whose motives were not transformed. But for those of us who repent truly and give our motives up to the Lord, we can receive this holy anointing oil that he has for us. But in the same way, we have to be careful to not lay hands on just anyone to receive the spirit, but to ensure that if there's any red flags, if there's any unrepentance and if there's anyone who desires to to use the Holy Spirit for their own gain, we should be wise as Peter was wise to reconsider laying hands hastily upon such a one. God further warns us about misuse and abuse of spiritual things with the next element that I'd like to discuss last but not least the incense. 
We read about this in Exodus 30, verse 37. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. I want to submit to you that our incense is our prayers that go up to the Lord like a sweet smelling aroma. But God is instructing regarding this and he warns, do not use it for yourself and do not use it as perfume for yourself. What does that mean? Yeshua continuously spoke about this and rebuked many for using their prayers in the wrong way. If we pray so that we do it for ourselves in order to be seen by others, or we pray so that we put it on as a perfume, which what is a perfume? A perfume is that which in ancient times, especially was put on to mask the bad smells of the person because they didn't take baths as often as we do in the 21st century. And so if we use our prayers as outward signs to mask our evil inward parts, then we are guilty of what God is warning. We are using our prayers as a perfume and for ourselves. Yeshua warned about this in Mark 12, verse 39. You Pharisees have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor and feasts. You who devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation in Exodus 30, 36. It is further explained regarding this incense that it is to be beat very small and that it is to be placed before the testimony. I want to submit to you that this means that our prayers are placed before the testimony. It is placed right before the Father. It is our access to speak straight to his heart. And that is a privilege that we should not take lightly. That is a holy pleasure of ours that we should approach with reverence. And when we speak, we speak to him. But also in beating that incense very uh, small, that is a picture I want to submit to you about how our prayers can even be small. And what I mean by that is, is simply that even though there is nothing wrong with long prayers, as Yeshua prayed long in the Garden of Gethsemane and charged his disciples to do so. He at the, at the same time warns against long prayers when done as an outward sign for others to see instead of in the secret place for your father to see or long prayers that bear no true meaning, mocking the father. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, because they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Yeshua talks about those who pray that they may be seen by others. That is something we should be careful of to ensure that we have a place in the secret with our father, where our motive is just to speak to him when no one is looking. 
Yeshua was at the same time not speaking against a public prayer, as we may see in synagogues, churches, or even on the street where Yeshua publicly prayed for others many times. But the motive of the heart is key. And also, furthermore, he warns against praying long prayers with the motive of thinking that we will be heard for our many words. Now, this is a great revelation that I, for me personally, has been such an amazing lifting of the burden. And what I mean by that is that it's so easy for us to think that, well, uh, prayer, you know, prayer is this thing, this big thing. It has to be an hour long. It has to be this. It has to be that. Right. Or we may have heard how someone else prays and we and prayer can our minds so easily become this big thing that becomes a burden. And because it becomes such a big burden, it actually causes us to enter prayer less because it becomes such a hindrance in our mind to get there. Such a big work to get there to pray. Oh, I have to pray so long and and see this actually is something that can really hurt our intimacy with the father. It's like if you had a husband or a wife and it's like, well, now is your time. Now you need to sit for an hour today and talk to one another every day at seven o'clock. Let's go right like that is not organic. A relationship that is healthy is one where I want to spend organic time with my husband and my wife. And yes, I can set an appointment for that. But it doesn't become this burdenous thing that I this obligation that I need to do, which then robs it of the organic love to just be there, even if it's for five minutes today, maybe half an hour, an hour tomorrow. It's less about the stopwatch time limit and more about just being there. And that I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, you need to listen to me with because many of us are not going to the presence of the father as much as we we ought to just because we consider it a burden. But the father is calling you and is saying, look, I want this to be freedom for you. I don't want this to be a burden. I want you to just come, even if it's five minutes today, if it's 10 minutes today, if it's half an hour today, just come into my presence, dear son, dear daughter, and be with me. Even if you don't know what to say because your your words escape you, just come and sit and be in my presence. That is what he wants of us not to think we need to say these many words because that's how he's going to hear us. No, he says the opposite. I am not to be mocked. I am not like a pagan idol that you need to do all these rituals for and say all these long prayers for before. I'm like, oh, now I hear you. No, I hear you even before you speak. I hear you. I know what you want to say even before you say it, because I am the Lord Almighty. Now come and and tell me your worries. Tell me what's on your heart. I know it already, but I want to be in communion with you. Is what the Lord says. And in that way, brothers and sisters, there's such a lifting of the burden of this thing. And this sets you free to enter his presence in freedom. And so if you do not know how to pray, where do I even begin? Yeshua ends that with saying how and he recites what we know today as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You belong the glory and the power and the might forever and ever. Amen. And so if you do not know how, begin there. And in the very least, pray that prayer multiple times a day and things will be well with you. Father, I just pray, Lord, for everyone listening to this. Help us, O Lord, to become temples of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be able to have a prayer life that is organic and healthy. Help us, Lord, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit, to have that anointing oil upon us. God, that they would have the bronze basin where they wash themselves in coming in repentance to you, looking in the mirror of that water reflecting back and analyzing their own hearts in light of your word and not just pointing the finger at others to have a reminder of the tax, the payment that was paid for us all. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you paid with your own life. And how great does that mean our sin is? Thank you for cleansing us, Yeshua. We praise you. We worship you to the glory of the Father. I want to say a special thank you to our partners who've made this teaching and every other teaching and live stream this month possible. I'll see you guys in the next one. Shalom.